Don't tread on me. LibertyRadioLive.com Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be preaching. The Kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your reach. You're supposed to be striving, seeking it. That's what Christ said to do. If you believe in Jesus, you should be doing what He told you to do. Because if you love Him, you will keep His commandments. Okay, so what did Jesus tell them to do? Love one another. Uh, keep the commandments if you want eternal life. That's your effort to do that, to keep the commandments, is going to show you where you lack faith in Jesus Christ. It will show you where your belief falters. This is what happened with Peter. Peter believed in Jesus. He loved Jesus. He wanted to serve Jesus and serve in Jesus' kingdom. Yet, he denied Jesus. Jesus knew he was going to deny him and told him he was going to deny him. He didn't believe it, but he... So, right away, we know he's not believing Jesus, but Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. And when you do, I will pray for you. Why? Because when he realized that he denied Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ knew he was going to deny him, knew that he was going to betray him, he now could come face to face with his unbelief. This is very important. A lot of Christians think they believe in Jesus. But they need some help with their unbelief. They don't think they have unbelief. But they do have unbelief. Because they don't walk on water. They occasionally deny the ways of Jesus Christ. And that's what their ministers should be saying. Is, hey, that's not what Jesus wants. You've missed the mark. You need to... Repent. You need to turn around. You need to go another way. Ministers should be rebuking those people who pick them. Giving them a hard time so that they turn around. Because some of them are following Satan from time to time. Get ye behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. Peter denies Jesus Christ. It breaks his heart when he realizes not only did I not deny my Lord... My Lord knew I was going to do this and told me about it. But he also said he would pray for me. Now, you know, Peter must have gone through a lot 
through this whole process. And this was, he was groundbreakingly changed and needed to be in order to receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not going to dwell in a filthy temple. And you're the temples of the Holy Spirit. You need to clean up your act because there are ministers out there teaching you damnable heresies and dragging you headlong, not towards the kingdom, but towards the pit of hell and the bondage of Satan. They're doing that now in the name of Jesus Christ. They're using Jesus' name, Yeshua. It doesn't matter whether you say Yeshua or Jesus. It doesn't matter if you say Yadavai, Yahweh, Jehovah. It doesn't matter. It's not what comes out of your mouth that makes you saved. Most of what comes out of your mouth is what damns you. Because you say it's okay not to keep the commandments. And yet you still call yourself a Christian. It's okay. We're not saved by works. We don't have to even look at our works. We don't even have to look at what we're doing. We just love Jesus. He embraces us. And you believe that. Well, the people that Jesus said, Get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity, believed they were doing things in the name of Jesus. And they were actually workers of iniquity. And they are now, not just in the past, they're now thinking they're following Jesus. Now, some of those people actually do believe in Jesus. But they need help with their unbelief, and their ministers are not doing it because they're not preaching the fullness of the gospel. Jesus came to fulfill the law, fulfill the gospel of the law, of God. And there are pastors and ministers and priests and rabbis today that are denying the precepts of God and saying, you don't have to do that anymore. That's done away with. The precepts of God are never done away with. The precept upon precept of God are never done away with. Because God is the same yesterday as he is today. So therefore his precepts are the same. So the Old Testament and the New Testament should be in an agreement. But unfortunately our view of the Old Testament is a pharisaical view of the Old Testament and they neither knew Moses nor God. Therefore they could not know Jesus. So do you really know Jesus or do you just believe you know Jesus? One of my favorite movies is the movie with Dustin Hoffman. My kids all think it's funny because I, I just, I just chuckle away at that movie. It is so, uh, you know, it's over the top, but it's it's very real. And it's the movie Heroes, or Hero, I think, it, or maybe it's Heroes. I can't remember if it's plural or not. But uh, the, the there's a line in there where he says, uh, and I'll paraphrase it because I don't use that kind of preschool language normally, <laughs> is that uh, everything is BS. And you just choose the BS you want, and that becomes your BS. And then you you believe that. It's kind of the little engine that could. I believe I can. I believe I can. I believe I can. I believe this is true. I believe this is true. I believe this is true. 
And that belief has power. It can give you power. You know, uh, can you imagine somebody who is given the task of executing a million people? But he believes he can do it. And he gets it done. His belief gave him power to do that. Your belief that sin will make you better, feel better, do better, more successful, makes rich men rich every day. Belief is a powerful thing. But righteous belief makes the difference. Is the Jesus you believe in righteous? Well, we say he is, but what is that righteousness? How do we know what that righteousness is? Well, the precept upon precept of God shows us what that righteousness is. And you need to know what that righteousness is for real. And not make any exceptions along the way. And we are making exceptions along the way because our pastor said it was okay. And some of those pastors are saying that because they are prophets of Satan. And some of them are saying that because they believed prophets of Satan. We're not supposed to believe our pastor. We're supposed to believe God. So what did God say? God said, don't take my name in vain. God said, don't steal, don't murder. He also said, honor thy father and thy mother. And those of you who have followed the word honor there is the same exact Hebrew word for liver. It's also the same exact Hebrew word for fatten. It means to honorarium, to give, to enrich our parents doesn't mean go to bed when they say go to bed. It, although that may include that. <laughs> As I was convincing my grandkids last night, we were taking care of some of our grandkids last night. But honoring had to do with that. Did you know that tribute is a patrimonial right of kings? When the king becomes your father, because he's beheaded your father, he's no longer the head of your household. The head of your household is the state. They are the ones who rule in your house. They have a patrimonial right to the honorarium that you should be giving to your father. God created the family. Man created the state. Now, should men be social beings? Yes. But what should bind their society? Contracts? Covenants? Constitutions? Or love? Honor? This is the difference between the kingdom of God that wants you to be bound by love for one another because that's how you recognize true Christians. Not to be bound by contracts and covenants, which is the sign of Cain and Cain's city-state and Nimrod and Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And, you know, one of the things, one of the signs of Sodom and Gomorrah was that, you know, everybody says, well, the sodomy is their sin and all this. No, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. Well, they took care of the poor, but they did not strengthen the poor. In God's kingdom, you take care of the poor by faith, hope, and charity. In the kingdom of Nimrod, who is a great benefactor of the people, provider for the people, he takes care of the poor by taking away from you, taking away from your neighbor. And you give him the power to do that because you appoint him your king. And he t- he's now in the business of taking, 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 taking. You see, Christ should be your king, and you should be able to take care of all your social welfare needs because Christ is your king. And you gather together in his name. And if you don't gather together in his name, you will have a vacuum in your society. And you will say, well, what, how are we going to take care of the poor? Well, that's your job. If you're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, you should be taking care of the poor and the needy of your society. Yeah, but that guy over there, he's not contributing enough. So let's make him contribute. He's getting to keep his stuff, and I have to take care of all these widows and orphans. And what have they ever done for me? Why do I have to take care of the needy of the society? Everybody should have to pay their fair share. Let's hire somebody to make everybody pay their fair share. Let's gather together and we'll all have one purse and we'll elect somebody to make sure everybody pays their fair share. You're caught in the net of your own making. Because you deemed it's legitimate that you take from your neighbor, you can be taken from. Uh, Somebody sent a video to show how parental rights are decided by judges. And they said, we need to sign this petition so that parental rights cannot be taken away from us by judges and lawmakers. Well, who gave you your parental rights? If the government gave you your parental rights, if the government is responsible for protecting your parental rights, then they get to define what your parental rights are. On the Living Network, somebody sent a little thing showing how recently, I guess it was recent, uh, uh, a court decided that, uh, was it Cherokee Indians, could had the right to decide who was a Cherokee Indian. Because Cherokees had a lot of black slaves, the descendants of those black slaves want to be counted as part of the tribe so they can get more tribal benefits. And the Cherokee Indians say, no, they're not a part of the tribe because they don't have any bloodline of the Cherokee. And so, therefore, they don't get those benefits. And the judge decided the Cherokees get to decide who is a Cherokee. So, that's actually legitimate. (laughs) To some degree, they get to decide. And because all those Cherokees are U.S. citizens and are dependent upon the Social Security system for their benefits, those blacks can go get their benefits there, too. (laughs) 
than because they've all been set free. Their freedom is a result of government. Their rights are a result of government. It's not a result of God. They're not defending their God-given rights. They can make reference to them, but it's all from the government that their rights come, and therefore the government regulates those rights. And why does the government have that power? Because they've covenanted with it. And the Bible says to make no covenants with them. No contracts where you get to decide for me. So the kingdom of God is void of such covenants. How do you run a government without forcing your elected officials to do what they say they're going to do? Why do you have to force your public officials to do what they say they're going to do? Why would you have to force them to do that? Why don't you just stop paying them? I mean, that's what everybody is saying now. You know, starve the beast, don't pay them. They're not doing it. But is that the deal? Is that the kind of contract you've made with them? you got to remember, this government's gotten into debt, fulfilling its obligation to you. Can you now just say, well, I changed my mind. I don't want to be a part of your deal anymore. They're in debt. They got you. They got you. They've bound you in this debt because they went into debt providing you with benefits. Free education. Free health care. You say, well, I don't want those things anymore. Yeah, okay, well, then just pay up your debt. Because we've already gone into debt on behalf of you because you said you wanted to be a part of this or your parents sold you into bondage which they had a right to do because you used to belong to your parents till they sold you into bondage. How did they sell you into bondage? All right, well, they wanted to deduct you from their income tax, which they owed because they had a covenant. You know, it's a, it, there's layers and layers of how this works. It's an intricate prison. And you created the prison. You wove the net. You and your parents and your parents before them wove this complex net in which you are now captured in. And you cannot just do away with all that with a wave of your pen. You need a better strategy. And Moses brought that strategy. Abraham brought that strategy. John the Baptist brought that strategy. And Jesus Christ brought that strategy. And we call it the kingdom of God. Do you have that strategy of the kingdom of God operating in your life? Are you striving and seeking that kingdom of God? Now, the topic of this program is supposed to be our Christians' idiots. So I've kind of laid out here, Christians are followers of Christ. They're the ones who are doing what Christ said. Now, there's a lot of people saying they're doing what Christ said. But are they doing what Christ said? Are they following Christ? I don't think they are. I read the book. I'm looking at the book. That book has got some information in it. Originally written in Greek and Hebrew. Now other men have come along and told you what that book means. And you believed them. And some of them told you what they told you because they believed people before them. But if you actually crack it open and do some studying, I found where a lot of their beliefs are wrong. And 
that's that's a no brainer because they don't agree amongst themselves. They're all studying the same book and they're coming up with different conclusions. At the time of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees were studying the Torah. Sadducees even looked at it once in a while. They were kind of the Democrats of the day, but so they didn't look at it a lot. But they uh, they were looking at the Torah and coming up with a different idea about what it meant. Precise Hebrew language hasn't changed in thousands of years, but they didn't understand because language is Babel. You can make language mean anything you want. You can take Hebrew language and make it mean anything you want. If you go look at your concordances, go get one of those Bible softwares and look at look it up, you'll find words translated in the uh, Greek and Hebrew 10, 15 different ways. Some of them so different you can't even tell they'd be the same word. Or five or six different words in the Greek and Hebrew translated one way one way in English well you got to be missing something they used a different word and you're using one word for to translate four or five different Greek words and then you get a minister who doesn't know what he's talking about telling you that this is what it means and you believe him and you start chugging up that hill of the belief that he he's laid out this track this is what you need to do and you're following when I was in the seminary studying, I was trying to get up that hill, but I kept seeing these little things and saying, well, what about that? It says, don't go that way or go this way. And, and they wouldn't give me an answer that satisfied me. I wanted to know the truth. And I kept asking questions until I wasn't welcome anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going to keep telling you the truth. And I'm already not welcome in a lot of places. But you need to look for yourself and and deep down into your own heart. And in that striving to do what Christ said, you're going to come face to face with your unbelief. That's good. Because now you can repent. Peter repented. Changed his ways. Pentecost, when Peter comes out talking of Pentecost... He's a different person than what we saw before. And it's all in there if you if you understand the culture and you read the text in, in detail. But I mean, uh, uh, the Bible studies are so unrich. I want to create a uh, study book to go along with books like Thy Kingdom Come and The Higher Liberty and uh, so that you have this so we can kind of guide you and show you that there's a, even a richer because these both those books could have been much thicker and bigger uh, with a lot more information but I condensed them down because Americans aren't used to reading big thick books uh, anymore They're, they want to watch a video you know and they want you to be that dumb and lazy they don't want you to study they want you to think you got it already you know, you love Jesus, so you're saved. But you may not really believe in the real Jesus. You may believe in part of what you hear, but then these damnable heresies come in and seduce you away. First miracle of Jesus, he asked the man if he believed. 
Or he wasn't going to help him, evidently. That's what it appears. And the man said he did believe. What that meant, believe what? But he believed that Jesus could solve his problem. We know that because why would he be asking him? But Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, yes, but help me with my unbelief. So I'm going to help you with your unbelief, and I'm going to show you, smack you right in your face from time to time on our broadcast or in person writing, so that you will know where you're straying. So that you can come face to face with your unbelief and repent and then have real belief. Righteous belief. So we're going to come back in a minute. And we might take some call-ins. So be ready. Uh, the number is 414. I'll come to that when we get back. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD of Cross the Border Productions. Embrace the little-known but greatest prophecy given by the Great High Priest. The pre-incarnate Messiah reveals God's once secret plan for mankind. Believe it. Behold, the end times in Daniel chapter 2, because the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. It is the key to prophecy future. Comprehend the seven-year great tribulation deception. Be not deceived. Understand the great prophecy delusion, because if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Be forewarned. America in prophecy, exposed for all to see. The mark of the beast, no, it's not a biochip. A much better and more secure technology is already here, and you are already using it. Two copies, one for you and one for you to give away when you send a support donation of $25 to First Amendment Radio. Use the chip-in event on our website or send $25 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, California, 93274. Make copies and give them away. Send $25 cash for two copies of The Greatest Prophecy DVD. That's First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. A wise man is forewarned and prepares for the time to come. The Greatest Prophecy DVD. 
If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. And we're talking about a lot of things. Uh, we're, our main topic of today are, are Christians idiots, which is a part of a uh, conversation that uh, an article that we're having this week. Uh, the article won't appear until News Reviews puts it out. Um, and uh, we'll uh, attach these audios to that when that finally does go out. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, kind of stir them up a little bit because Christians have really taken a false turn or people thinking that they're Christians, people who have, they look at Jesus, they look at the Bible, they look at uh, some of those doctrines uh, through often cloudy glass, uh, and uh, but they say, I like something I'm seeing. And they're pursuing that, and they're seeking to be Christians, and they're going to churches and Bible studies, and they're trying to find out more about this Christ. Unfortunately, the whole world is deceived as to what Christ was really doing. Uh, They have bits and pieces of it. They have an understanding of it. But there's deception everywhere. And even the very elect of God would be deceived if it was possible, because there's a very strong delusion out there that is deceiving the people who are seeking Christ and deceiving the people who are not seeking Christ. And some of them are the deceivers themselves. And uh, so we ask this question, are Christians idiots? And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in this broadcast, specifically as to what that article is all about. But uh, in in the first part of this, we're we're laying some foundation so that you understand that belief has levels. You can believe in Jesus, but not have a clear picture of Jesus so that you have this unbelief. And and Peter was a great example of that. He certainly believed in Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus Christ. He followed Jesus Christ. He left his business uh, to go follow Jesus Christ under dangerous circumstances. He, he, that, that's very clear. He didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem because he knew that Jesus' life would be in danger. John the Baptist had already had his head cut off. 
as a result of conspiracies that wanted to do away with John the Baptist, parasitical conspiracies, and uh, you know also uh, in the palace conspiracies uh, to do away with John the Baptist. He wasn't just out in the country because he loved the view. He was out in the country because it was not safe for him or his family, including Jesus Christ, to be in Jerusalem because they had a different concept of the kingdom than you would see going on in their Washington, D.C., which was Jerusalem at that time. Their Sanhedrin was there. There were huge money powers. There's a lot of money being made by being friends with this uh, pharisaical government. You'd get government contracts. You could get... uh, you know, there was also the military industrial complex that they had. And, and that's always been a threat going way back to the days of Saul. When Samuel said, he will make his instruments of war. He will take your sons and make them run before his chariots. This is what you're going to get if you elect a man who could exercise authority one over the other. You were to be bound by faith, hope, and charity, by free will offerings, by honor, by precept upon precept of God, not by the ways of Cain, not by the ways of Nimrod, not by the ways of Sodom. So anyway, the point is, is our belief needs to be cleansed, purified. It, we need to remove the unbelief. And the only way to remove the unbelief is to come face to face with the truth about ourselves. The truth that we ourselves can't live in the garden by our own volition. We need to walk with God in our hearts and in our minds. We need to have His laws written on our hearts and on our minds. All His laws, from the first commandment to the tenth commandment, from the first to the second, as Christ gave, all the laws hinge on these one. Love God, His ways, His precepts, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your love for your neighbor is intimately connected with your love for God. If you love Jesus Christ, you will not want to abandon your neighbor. You will not want to isolate yourself from your neighbor. You you might want to get away from him from time to time. (laughs) You know, take a little vacation from that neighbor. But you do not want to isolate yourself. You do not want to abandon him. You will want to keep the lines of communication open to him. You will want to know him and know his needs. And be there for him. And this is the social structure of the kingdom is that you you need to create from the bottom up a network not dependent on contract or obligation, but dependent upon a spiritual obligation to love your neighbor as yourself. And that obligation is fulfilled by your personal choice on a day-to-day basis to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not doing that, then I question whether or not you really love God. Because you certainly don't love Jesus because he said to do that. He didn't say love your neighbor once a week on Sunday for an hour when you're sitting in the pew. He said love your neighbor, period. Your day-to-day walk has to be encompassed in that. And I've said before the income tax in the kingdom of God is 50%. Half of everything you do for yourself would be doing 
half is for yourself, the other half is for your neighbor. That doesn't mean you have to give 50% of everything you earn, but you have to care about him as much as you care about yourself. That's that's 50-50. Half. So how do you do that? Well, you can't do that all the time, so you pick a minister who's going to keep an eye on the other nine neighbors that you have in your congregation. And, of course, you have more neighbors than that, but you don't want to overburden the guys. So you get together in ten family congregation, and you pick somebody who is the most charitable, the most caring, the most uh, honorable, uh, the most righteous man amongst your midst uh, who is willing to do the job and pick him. And if he doesn't do the job, don't pick him anymore. Find somebody else. If you think this guy will do a better job, pick him. You maintain your right to pick somebody different. Every day you can pick somebody different. And that's organizing yourselves from the bottom up without waiving your right to organize yourself from the bottom up. If you pick a man and you say, you organize me, he'll have you goose-stepping through Berlin before the sun's down. You don't give him the power to make you do anything. You don't give him the power to force you to contribute. Well, he said, well, I'd never do that. Why would I give him the power to make decisions for me? Well, you do that when you give him the power to make decisions for your neighbor. It's that simple. If you give him the power to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you've just given up your right to decide what you will contribute. He is now exercising authority. And it is not to be that way with you. Jesus said it's not to be that way with you. And the way that is with most Christians today is it is that way. They pray to men who exercise authority to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbor. And they have whored after other gods who now tell them what they can teach their children what they can what would they will contribute this week to the gods that run their government and those of you who have read the article gods many know what I'm talking about because there are gods many but they're gods because you've made them gods and you made covenants with them the people round about you and their gods. And you are now captured in a net that should have been for your welfare, but has become a snare because of debt. And your only salvation is to repent and turn around and go another way. Instead of organizing from the top down now, you have to have the discipline of organizing from the bottom up. That's why Wycliffe says that the Bible is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, because it's telling you that you have to voluntarily do this. And if you're not doing that, you're an idiot. And so I say, are Christians idiots? Not real Christians. Foolish Christians. Pseudo-Christians. False Christians. 
apostate Christians. They're idiots because they're not really following Christ. Now, there's gray areas here because of the fact that many of you want to be real Christians. But you've been listening to those ministers who've crept in and teaching you damnable heresies, saying it's okay. Now, some of the things we'll talk about in the second half of the show is emotional socialism, what real prayer is, the vampire syndrome. I just made that phrase up earlier this week. And... uh, uh, maybe if we have time, we'll get to some of the other topics that I, I put down over the week uh, on the Living Network. Every one of you should be a member of the Living Network. Now, the Living Network is not an email group, although you can get on email <laughs> group and uh, and connect with others that are forming the Living Network. The Living Network is physical living people connecting with other physical living people. (laughs) That's the living network. The email groups are to help you do that. Telephone can help you do that. Uh, Retreats can help you do that. We have a number of retreats coming up this fall around the country, and you can go to one of those retreats. We're having one out here in Oregon, and uh, I guess they've got some that they're trying to organize in the Midwest, and and I don't know where all. Uh, you have to get on the Living Network in your area. Go to hisholychurch.org and do that. Um, but this is organizing yourself from the bottom up. And you could call that organized religion. But it's not top-down organization. It's not authoritarian organization. You have to decide. You have to choose. You have to act. You have to turn love into an emotion from an emotion into an actual physical reality into a power and when you do that when you unite thought and deed in action a spiritual opening comes that will give you more power than you would normally have simply by believing. You know, people believe in communism, people believe in uh, governments, and they serve those governments, and because of their belief in those governments, they are able to accomplish big things. Belief is a powerful thing. It can build a tremendous building because you believe it can be built, but that building can become a prison if that belief is not designed according to the nature of God. And that's what Nimrod was doing. He was building a whole system to bind the people under his authority. Very effective. I've flown over this country many times, uh, and you look at the cities and the intricacies and this huge mechanism that we've created, this technological wonder and uh, it's, uh, it's a marvel. It's a miracle. And it was bi- built by belief that we can do it. But it's also a prison. It's also a very dangerous prison. It's an execution chamber because you are so vulnerable, uh, unbelievably vulnerable. 
in America the North American Creighton, uh, which is a an area uh, of North America, uh, is shaky. We've had several earthquakes in the last week. Uh, and right along the border lines of the Creighton, if that continues to get more active, we've had gas releases uh, in the West Coast here. Uh, carbon dioxide, even methane from under the ocean. Uh, we have volcano going off off the coast of Oregon uh, that could has been swelling with gas uh, releases. You could have a massive explosion that could send a tidal wave, you know, a mile inland in Portland. Uh, instead of a million dollars worth of damage, you could have billions of dollars worth of damage. And if you're moving according to the Holy Spirit, you will know what to do about that. If you're moving according to the knowledge of men, I could scare the bejesus out of you with what's coming. I could share with you things that would terrify you. But what is the point of that? You don't want to move from fear. You want to move from love. Because love will guide you in where you need to be and when you need to be there. Because it will open up that... See, this is why the world doesn't want you to love. They want you to hate the Muslims or hate the communists or hate the Indians or hate the blacks or hate the whites or, you know... They want you to be operating from hate and anger and fear. What if Social Security fails? It's going to fail, period. It's going to fail. Jesus didn't say, what if the unrighteous mammon fails? He says, when it fails, it's going to fail. So, are Christians idiots? Are they foolish? I I don't know what's going on in the chat room that's associated with this recording, but uh, I'll keep an eye out if there's any questions. And we'll go to the phone numbers, uh, which is 414-395-2442. Uh, also, we may end up clipping this out, but there's a retreat coming up here the last week of September. If you're interested in uh, coming to that, let us know. Uh, uh, we got lots of camping spaces. You may want to get ref- reservations at the... Uh, Summer Lake Lodge or at the end down the road uh, if you want uh, fancier accommodations. Uh, so anyway, keep us go to the website and look over there on the left-hand side of hisholychurch.org and it will, uh, you can get more information about the retreat. If you join the Living Network, you can find out about retreats in your area. So... Anyway, I'll give that phone number one more time, 414-395-2442. But we're going to talk now about this particular verse in the Bible, Acts 4.13. Now, we can look at a lot of different verses in the Bible, and there's misconceptions associated with those. And a lot of those misconceptions are connected to translations I use the King James translation not because it's necessarily the best. They all have their faults and flaws. Uh, They're all made by men. The translators were not inspired by God. 
there's enough there that you would know the truth and you should be able to figure it out without knowing the Greek and the Hebrew because the truth doesn't come from the book. It comes from the Holy Spirit that will guide you. But unfortunately, there's a lot of men that you've been letting guide you that have been reading the Bible before you got to look at it and they've been telling you what it means so that you always pick that book up with a preconceived notion. And those preconceived notions are often containing damnable heresies, and it leads you off in a particular direction. And I know many ministers that this has actually happened, and they're good men, but they have been deceived. And their preconceived notions, their degrees, have imprisoned their mind so that they cannot learn the truth without humility. And this is why Peter had to be caught in this denial of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't want to deny Jesus Christ. He wanted to believe in Christ. And he had belief in Christ. But he needed help with his unbelief. (coughs) So it was provided that he would be tempted, he would fall to that temptation, he was forewarned, and then he could look and realize that he had some unbelief that he had not yet attended to. And by seeing the truth of that, he was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit by setting aside his bickering and his anger and his resentment towards uh, the people amongst the apostles who were bickering over different things. He was able to receive that Holy Spirit that could guide him. And he still had problems, but he was willing to take a look and reflect upon those problems and pray about those problems and realize that, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I still got a lot to learn. And everyone who believes that they're a Christian should realize that you may have a lot more to learn. You're seeking an infinite kingdom, and there are many layers to that understanding. So in Acts 4.13, which we talked about on an earlier show, uh, says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, Peter had denied Christ at night when he was waiting outside there. He was not bold. He was timid. But now he had the Holy Spirit. He'd come face to face with his unbelief. And now his belief made him have courage again. And right out there, and broad daylight, with men all around, he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he was even a little bit less of a chauvinist than he had shown himself to be earlier in the gospel. Um, but they referred to them as unlearned and ignorant men. And it is my contention, and in this article that will appear on our website and in News Reviews, that's not what those words mean. That is a bad translation. That is a poor translation. Uh, John was not an unlearned man. Uh, Peter uh, may not have had a classical education, but he was well educated. He was uh, a fairly wealthy man. Uh, he was not some ignorant little fisherman out there 
trying to eke out a living. He ran fishing boats. He had a large home. Uh, he was able to walk away from his business and without starving his family. Uh, he was a go-getter, hard-working man. Uh, he he uh, was not unlearned. And the words they have there are not translated unlearned anywhere else that I can find anywhere in any Greek text. The uh, the actual word for unlearned, which you, you will find in the Bible, used many times in the Bible, uh, also in Acts and Romans and Peter and Corinthians and Mark and in Luke, even in Hebrews, and does mean unlearned, is not the word they use here. Why wouldn't the same guy who used un, this other word, unlearned, use it there? Because they're not talking about unlearned men. They're not talking about ignorant men. Uh, they're talking about something entirely different. And uh, those of you who have read articles on uh, christening and baptism uh, at that time... Uh, have should know that Herod was baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven long before John the Baptist. And that's a revelation in itself. It's just that Herod's vision of the kingdom of heaven was different than John the Baptist. Very different. And we'll talk about that when we return to Jesus of the kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at libertyradiolive.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment Rights Media Group programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $20. Or any single program on tape, MP3 CD, or CD for only $15. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group.
fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We were talking about are Christians idiots? Are they uh, fooled? Are they deceived? We know that a strong delusion is coming, and we know that many people would be deceived, even the very uh, elect. A lot of people think that deception has not got here yet. I think it's been here for quite some time. It began immediately (laughs) at the... uh, uh, Pentecost, where people began to try to distort the truth, uh, it was ongoing even before that. It it has been with us since the garden, and the idea that you can decide what is good and evil by your intellectual ability to calculate what the truth is, is the basis of that strong delusion. You can't. The only way you will know the truth is by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit in your hearts and in your minds. That's the only way you can really know it. Now, we have gifts like the Bible and uh, and we have prophets that come about from time to time and will reveal to us. And, and God sends us little messengers from time to time. But these are ways in which we can check whether or not what we're listening to is really the Holy Spirit. And an awful lot of ministers are not listening to the Holy Spirit because they have done things that are absolutely clearly, without question, in contradiction to what Jesus said to do. They are in contradiction to what Moses said to do, what God said to do. And the results of that is that they've begin, uh, gone back and become entangled again in the bondage of the world, in the elements of the world. And we have a study on that, too, as well, is that this, what are the elements of the world? Is it, are you entangled again in the atomic structure of the world? Because that's not what those words really mean. It has to do with this system of things where you become a thing and you become entangled, you go back into the bondage of Egypt, back into the bondage of the world, same thing. And that's where everybody is today. And the forefront leaders that have brought the people into this bondage are the apostate church ministers of the world. And they are ministers of the world and not ministers of Jesus Christ. They are not a part of the body of Jesus Christ. They had some belief, but they have some unbelief, and unfortunately, they have been deceived and led off. Now, they may be good men. Now is their time to repent, because now we're going to reveal some truths. The Bible talks about baptism. The baptism of John the Baptism, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Anybody who received the baptism of Jesus Christ was cast out of the welfare system operated by the Pharisees in the temple. We know that from John's writings about the blind man and his parents. 
that they would not be a part of that system anymore. And if you don't know the history of how that system works, you know, that's why we wrote the book Thy Kingdom Come and all these articles on it. The reality was is that Herod started a system of social welfare and it was building it on a pre existing system that had been established by the Hasmoneans but and this Sanhedrin, which was their Congress of the day, and in seventy eight BC uh this took a big jump, but Herod ended up baptizing, sending up ministers all over the known world and baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven. When they were baptized, their names were written down in books by scribes, which means accounters or accountants, and they would write their names down. And these ministers would go out and baptize people and write their names down, give them a new Hebrew name. They'd give them a little white stone with that Hebrew name carved on it and a couple of letters, usually about three letters. And they would use that stone and their own words out of their own mouth and held in their hand to say, yeah, I'm a member of that system. And they would show that little stone and that would be their marker identity and they would say okay so and so he's here on such and such a day and he needs this benefit and he's entitled to it according to our books and so therefore he gets this benefit but he also may have to pay in according to statutory regulations and these were the benefactors who exercised authority Herod's benefactors who exercised authority they compelled the contributions of the people, small little amount at the beginning, and money flowed in, so much so that he could build this huge temple, this golden temple. And they had the gold. That's kind of their backup reserve fund. They also had a treasury, a royal treasury, that Jesus is seen in the royal treasury, according to the Greek text, instructing the ministers. How come he's in there? He's the king. He's in that royal treasury instructing the ministry. He sits on the left side and watches the contributions coming in. And he says, who gave more? The rich man who gave half, 50%, or the widow who gave all she had? You know, what? He's looking for righteousness. He ends up giving a command that nobody can carry vessels anymore in the temple. How can he give that command? He's the king. I, I'm just astounded that Christians don't know he's the king. He's heralded as the king when he comes into Jerusalem. He's going into the royal treasury, the gastaphone, uh, explaining to the ministers how to operate. Uh, this is ticking a bunch of them off uh, because at that time the ministers were living in opulence even greater than that of those who worked directly for Herod. And what's going on? What's going on is that he's the king. And he fires the money changers, something only the king could do, and could do since the days of David. So what is the difference between his kingdom and Herod's kingdom? Herod compelled the contributions. We were instructed we could not compel the con contributions that took care of the needy of our society. How is our society bound together? They're bound together by love only. It doesn't, this has nothing to do with being organized or not organized. 
it has to do with are you is your organization the root of your organization love for one another or is the root of your organization a desire to control and regulate one another you go into a lot of these churches I had a minister in North Carolina talking to me about this I've had a lot of ministers over the year talking to me where they're they're under another minister and he is just telling them what to do left and right that, I mean, even to the point of telling people in their congregation who they can marry and who they can't marry. Now, you can advise, but you can't boss. You can't dictate. You can't regulate because you're in the kingdom of God. You're giving people the right to choose. Now, you have rights to choose. A minister doesn't have to marry two couple, you know, a couple. If he thinks that this marriage is ill-conceived or there's somebody's not being honest or somebody needs to do some more rethinking about it and he just doesn't feel right about it, he, has the right, he isn't a slave to them. He's a slave to Christ. And Christ tells him what to do to the Holy Spirit in his conscience. And, you know, and we see the evidence of that or not. And if we see him marrying Steve and Mike... We say, well, I don't, I don't go along with that. <laughs> I, he's not my minister anymore. I'm not going to pay any more tithing to that minister. The problem is, that's not the minister you tithe to. The minister you tithe to is the judge down there in the state of New York or the state of whatever. And he's going to marry Mike and Steve. And he's going to decide whether or not your children should be raised according to your values because they ain't your children. They belong to the state. I mean, who takes care of them? Whose table do they eat at? They don't eat at your table. They eat at the state's table. Why? Because you eat at the state's table. You pray to the benefactors who exercise authority. You make covenants with them. You make applications. You write out an application and you sign it under penalty of perjury. Why do you do all this? Because your preacher said it's okay. But God said, don't make these agreements. Don't be like them. It is not to be that way with you. John the Baptist was offering the people a system based on the its beginning was based in this moment of baptism whereby you took care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They asked him right out, Why? How are you doing these things this way? And he says, and explaining how it worked, he said, if your neighbor doesn't have a coat, you got to share. Faith, hope, and charity. That's not the way Herod was doing it. They called them both the kingdom of God. And today we have things called the church. And they say, oh, we're the church. How do you take care of your widows and orphans, the needy of your society? Because that's what pure religion is, is how you do that. And pure religion does that unspotted by the world. And the world, the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. The church today does not take care of its widows and orphans, the needy of its society, unspotted from the world. So therefore, the church today is not pure religion. And it's not pure religion because it's not pure belief. It is dirty belief. It is gutter religion. It is false belief. It is antichrist. 
Because it's not teaching the people to live by faith, hope, and charity. And the only way you can do that is to get organized from the bottom up, not from the top down. Pick your minister and only give him what you want to give freely. And then watch him to make sure he does what's right with it. So, before we run out of program, I know a lot of you are waiting to find out what it does mean to say that they were unlearned and ignorant. Because they weren't unlearned and ignorant. With all the background that I've given you, this will be a little bit of a surprise. The normal word for ignorant that you find in the Bible is not either one of those words. And I'm talking about the New Testament Greek. The word that is normally translated uh, uh, ignorant or unlearned is A-G-N-O-E-O. And none of those words are what we see in Acts 4.13. What we see there is two words. One is idiotis, which actually means a private person not involved in public affairs. Not a public person. A private person. Eventually that became used by the Romans in idiota. They said, well, they're an idiot. Because they're not joining our social welfare system through the pagan temples. Like the Temple of Saturn, which was really the Bureau of Vital Statistics for Rome. That's where your birth registration was put. Why birth registrations? To know when you're entitled to benefits. Because you get benefits at different ages, and you're, it tells you who your parents are, and they're a part of the Pax Romana, because the emperor is the Patronus, the father. And whenever you applied for a benefit, it was our father who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. Give us our daily bread. And they got it. But... That father in Rome exercised authority, did not live by faith, open charity, and that changed the people of Rome and set them up for when the unrighteous mammon fails. It did not allow the Holy Spirit to enter into people who are coveting their neighbor's goods because the Holy Spirit won't do that. The Christians were saying, Our Father who art in heaven, give us our daily bread. Where did their daily bread come? Show you right in meetings in the first century after Christ. They gathered and those that had shared with those that didn't have. With loaves of bread, not little wafers. Loaves of bread was the Eucharist of Christ. To sustain the people when there was true need. And it's cheaper, quicker, faster, better amongst men who really love their neighbor as themselves. So this other word that we see there in that text as unlearned is A-G-R-A-M-M-A-T-O-I. And it comes from a word that means to write. So that means they, they couldn't write. I have looked all over and text after text after text trying to find out how that word was used in other Greek texts. It only appears once in the Bible. And the only place I found it was in relationship to muster rolls 
of a battalion or the registry of members. And what they were saying there is these men were not a member of the social security system set out by Herod, by the baptism of Herod. They were unregistered in that system. They were private persons, separate from that. They couldn't get any of those benefits, but they didn't have to pay in. They had opted out of the Social Security system offered by Herod. Why? Because Christ preached that that system made the Word of God to none effect. It was the system of Corbin. The sacrifices of the people were compelled by their membership in a social welfare system that took care of the needy of their society, from the blind to the old age to whatever, to the crippled. If you return to the ways of Christ, the ways of Abraham, the ways of Moses, will you start taking care of one another through faith, open charity, you will see miraculous healings of people that will stick. And you do not have to rob energy away from your neighbor to do that. I have seen healers gathering together. They love to do this in an emotional setting. Get a very emotional crowd together. Because that emotion feeds their belief in the orchestrator of the events. And you will see these people all gathering around to be healed. The next day, or that day even, you will see some of them healed. Where did they get the energy from to do that? From the Holy Spirit? Or did they get it from this emotional circus that they've created? Where they drew this energy out of this person and that person and that person who just feel the outpouring. You know cutters? You know what cutters are? People who cut themselves and make themselves believe. They've seen a, a real beautiful young girl, arms just sliced. She'd been cutting herself. Because the flowing of life out of her gave her a sense and feeling of life. And there are people that have that. And they are subject to vampires who suck the life out of them, the spiritual life out of them. Because they get them in these emotional settings where they get them all worked up. And they will run up to give their emotional energy away, their spiritual energy away. You all have the power to heal. But unfortunately, if it is not tempered with the power of the Holy Spirit and the character of the Holy Spirit, you will also impart your diseases to other people. And not just the healing, but the poison as well. And this is, this is what often happens in these, these emotional uh, gatherings where everybody gets and, and they think it's the Holy Spirit. Well, it's Spirit. It may not be the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have to go get people worked up in order to heal the woman who just touched his garment. Her belief saved her. But belief in what? You can believe in lots of things and it may heal you. 
the placebo effect. But is that healing coming from the character of God, the character of life, the source of life, the tree of life? You can believe in all kinds of things and it will give you power. But is it the Holy Spirit of God, the creator of the universe, the creator of life? And there are ways to see whether it is or not. We are all deceived daily. We need to be careful of that. So all these guys were noting and taking knowledge of is that these were unregistered private people. But we can't have them translating it like that. And not that the King James guys were screwing up. They went to school. They were products of the church before them. They were around 500 years after the Inquisitions where they killed out everybody who might actually know and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. And then they controlled the education. They controlled our understanding of Greek. That's why you got theirs going back and trying to figure out what the Greek really meant. And he changed his opinion over the years even after he wrote his theirs. And I had a minister say, oh, well, it's not what you think this word means, like in the case of Romans 13. A minister wanted to say, no, I always use theirs. I rely on theirs. I says, well, let's open up theirs. Definition. The liberty of choice. So if we're going to go by theirs, that's what it means. You want to go by Strong's? That's what it means. You want to go by ancient Greek text? That's what it means. You want to go by people speaking Koine? That's what it means. They say, oh, you have to look at it in the context of the whole. How is it used most of the time in the Bible? Read the book Higher Liberty. And you'll see how it's used most of the time in the Bible. It's talking about the government of Jesus. Your right to choose. God gave you that right to choose. Now, are you choosing life or are you choosing to take life from others? This, you know, the the tax situations in the world governments today is evidence of the fact that we have already turned our back on God. The choice of Saul is evidence of the fact that we have already turned our back on God. Our present circumstances and condition is evidence of the fact that we have not been striving and seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, if we're doing that, we're going to see two things. We're going to love the ways of God, which are the ways of faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. Because no Levite running the government of Israel for 400 years was kicking in the door of the people and compelling them at sword point to pay their tithing. Their tithings and their free will offerings were free will offerings because it was a true and pure republic under the authority of God. They say a theocracy. We don't want a theocracy. The theocracy of Israel could not suppress or oppress the people in their midst. You didn't have to join their church. 
You didn't have to join their system of Corbin. You didn't even have to pay into it if you did join it. It was a system based on faith, hope, and charity and free will offerings and individual responsibility. It was a government from the bottom up of the people, for the people, and by the people. And it was ruled by God, so it was a theocracy, in the hearts of every individual who could not oppress their neighbor. What happens in that system is that if you really are doing it, that those who don't want to live by virtue don't thrive. And those who do, do thrive. But those of you who want to live by virtue have been seduced into making covenants. So now you have to remain friends with the unrighteous mammon unless you want to become a true minister of Christ. And then you can prepare a table so that when the unrighteous mammon fails, those who have been friends in the system will have a more righteous habitation. If you're in the system, <coughs> excuse me, if you're in the system, don't cheat. Don't lie. Make your yeses yes. In the daytime, but at night, seek the kingdom of God. Now, if you're worked at, you, you're in a job, you got to do that job. You work for an employer, you do it the way he says. And you're all employed by the federal government, so they say this is the way you do it, so you do it that way. But start setting the table of the Lord so that you have some place else to go when the table of the unrighteous fails. You should have been doing this for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You haven't been. Because you've been listening to ministers who are preaching damnable heresies that say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, even though you could do a better job by following the ways of Christ. You are all registered people. Now, some of you want to get unregistered. I understand that. You will not be free till you set your neighbors free. And a lot of you already don't want to take those benefits. You're young, you're strong. But what about the families? What about the elderly? Are you ready to take on all the elderly that want to go this way? You cannot be free. You will not be free until you care about your neighbor as much as yourself. And the only way to show me that you care about your neighbor is to gather together. To organize yourself in the bottom up in tens, hundreds, and thousands. I don't believe you care about your neighbor if you're not doing that. And I'm saying that to help you with your unbelief. Because if you really believed in what Jesus said, you would be doing that. Because that's what he said to do. Gather in his name. Do not forsake the gathering together. Love your neighbor. Physically love your neighbor. Don't just hug them. I see people hug all the time. And then hire people to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare at the point of a gun. So where's the love in that? Show me real love. 
Show me real love. And start doing what Christ said. Stop being idiots. Start learning what it means to be idiotes. Non-participators. And the way to do that is start becoming participators in the ways of Christ. The modern Christian is idiotes. He is a not a participator in the kingdom of God. He's told to sit and wait for the kingdom of God to come. Jesus done it all. You don't have to do anything. Just come to church, tithe to me, so I, you know, I'll get lots of money and drive a nice car and all this stuff. I don't tell you you have to tithe to me. You have to seek the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you who to tithe to. I'm not telling you what to do other than seek the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the righteousness of God. And stop seeking the unrighteousness of the world. And that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of dedication. And you have to decide what you're going to do in seeking that kingdom of God. So, anyway, look forward to publishing the article so that everybody can read it. I've let the PCMs, the personal contact ministers on our Living Network, see it already. And as soon as news of you, they have the first right, we'll publish it and let you know. Until then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation under the heavenly Father with grace, mercy, and justice for all. The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host cause and anywhere else the spirit may lead you 
do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're still talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, I hope everybody's found the show interesting so far. I'm kind of curious as to if anything uh, is gone unanswered, if you have any questions. And so we'll give out that phone number again. I kind of was on a roll this morning on the original radio broadcast on Blog Talk and then on this because, you know, to me it's it's the same message over and over again and trying to say it in so many different ways and not knowing who I'm really talking to. Uh, but uh, we do have somebody actually as on the program right now. He's very quiet and uh, not saying much, but he's watching some of the stuff that goes on in chat rooms and manning the phones. And our phone number is 414-395-2442. And uh, Paul has been doing handling the uh, technical stuff for us. Uh, Paul, are you there? I'm here. Uh so, did any questions come up in your mind as we were running through these topics? I ran through all my basic notes. There's a lot more detail in the uh, article, which will be coming out. Everybody can get it on the Keys of the Kingdom when it comes out, but also on newsviews.com. But So, did you have any comments, or did you see any questions coming up, uh, anything's unaddressed? I think I think you covered it very well. Um, as I was listening, it was mostly answers, not questions. And you know, whenever something did come up, you you were right there on the answer. Well, maybe I'm at, uh, maybe our heads are too close together. Uh. It might be, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, if someone out there you know has questions, they'll be brave to call in because someone else probably has the same question or ask right. it in the chat room. I'm monitoring that too. Okay, yeah. That that's the thing is uh, a lot of people want to call me up when we're not having a radio broadcast. And ask me the question then. Uh, we're not going to use your last name. We're not going to give out your address or anything. People should be willing to call uh, in and ask a question when we're on the air. And one of the reasons why is that you ask the question 
even if you think you know the answer, you're asking the question because you think somebody else wants to know. And, and that's evidence that you actually care about others as much as you care about yourself. When you call in with that question, you want other people to hear the answer because you want other people to have the answer. You don't just want the answer for yourself. One An interesting phenomenon that I see a lot in modern public schools is, and I've, I've given a hard time to uh, uh, building inspectors over the year, which I've, I've, I've dealt with from time to time, uh, since I do a lot of handyman work for my neighbors. And uh, I once had a building inspector, after he had signed off on a job that I had been working on, uh, laying a chimney, and uh, he uh, signed off. And after he signed off, I didn't like the guy too much. He had a very arrogant uh, approach. And I said, you know the old saying, those who do, do, and those who can't do, teach? I says, well, there's really more to that. I says, those who can't teach, they inspect. <laughs> so, uh, you're very he, subtle. Very subtle. <laughs> he turned around and walked away. <laughs> so that was the end of that conversation. Never saw him again. He may still but, be uh, scratching his head. <laughs> I think he got it. Uh, I had built this chimney about 30 feet up to the way up to the top of this roof and uh, uh, the code requires that it's two inches away from any combustible material and uh, you know I had this big 30 foot ladder going up into the high point of the building and he says that doesn't look like two inches to me you know just just that was an opening conversation to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you you bold so and so I didn't say a single word because, you know, I wasn't running the job and so I didn't want to get anybody into trouble and make the poor guy mad at me yet, anyway. So I just whipped out my tape out of the back of my pouch and I handed him the tape and I said, here's a tape. There's There's a ladder. (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't take the tape and he didn't go up the ladder, so I guess he took my word for it that that was two (laughs) inches at the top. So, uh... Anyway, uh, so after I saw he signed off, I volunteered my little advice on the difference between those who do, those who teach, and those who inspect. <laughs> now, a lot of people don't know that there's building codes in the Bible. Uh, there's a building code about, uh, you know, balconies, having a railing around them, about digging pits, and etc. And... Uh, uh, you have to not create a hazardous situation. That's what uh, Mo- uh, Moses is trying to impart with his codes. He's explaining the Ten Commandments with his codes, uh, his statutes of Moses. He's not trying to create rules and regulations that, oh, if I do this, I step on B, and then I step on C, and then I step on D, then I get into the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to give you a picture of the kingdom of God. And uh, and once you start understanding that, and then maybe learn a little Hebrew and read them again, you'll realize what he's really talking about. He didn't want to create codes that if you don't put a balcony according to his specs on your uh, roof, uh, he can come in and fine you. 
he can actually tax you more because he you didn't put in the right kind of balcony. He puts in those rules so that you don't create a hazard. So that if you you know you put a real flimsy little balcony up there and uh, or no balcony uh, ba- rail at all, and somebody you invite people up and they get hurt, that you can be held responsible for negligence because. He's already explained that it's reasonable to put a stout little railing around a balcony because you don't want to invite people into a hazardous situation. Now, we take that over to that precept over to what we were talking about, the system of Corbin, the system of Social Security, whereby you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare uh, we realize that that's creating a hazardous situation because it will make the Word of God to none effect. It will divide and weaken your society and bring them into bondage, which is exactly what's happened. It I, looks like we have a caller. Are We, we did. A I think she hung up. Oh. She'll have to call back. But there's also a question in the chat room. Okay. And it says, It has taken more than a year for me to understand many of the facets of the kingdom. I am unsure how to share it. To add to the network, many people, myself included, believe that they already have the truth. How can the kingdom be built or added to? Well, you know, it's a case-by-case basis, and of course this has been the story of my entire life, so if we had more than a half an hour, we could probably (laughs) go to it. But... uh, uh, what you say to every individual will vary according to every individual. That's the thing is I cannot give you any specific little uh, speech to deal with everybody. We make lots of little pamphlets, lots of little articles, and there's little pet things. Like people say, well, you know, I live in a free country. Well, no, you don't. Uh, if, if the bondage of Egypt was that you had to pay 20% of everything you earned to the government and you were never to return to the bondage of Egypt again, then how come you're paying 20, 30, 40, 50% to the government? Uh, why, you know, like somebody sent the, the, the little video on, you know, parents' rights, how the government can say, you know, uh, what you can do with your kids, what you can teach your kids, uh, what you have to teach your kids, what they can teach your kids. Uh, why is that happening? That's because... You've gone and said to the government, be my father, take care of me, provide for me, be my benefactor. Even though the government doesn't give you its money, it gives you your neighbor's money. So there's a million ways in which, you know, the article uh, that I gave today, the, the book on higher liberty, all these things are pointing to different little elements of not being in the kingdom. If you have a need in your congregation, do those that have extra share with that person or does your pastor give them the phone number to the welfare people in the governments of the world that are going to provide him nothing but what they take away from your other neighbors? You know, I, to me it's so obvious. But these people, they think, oh, I got it already. Well, if they continue in that, if... You know, maybe when you catch somebody complaining about this thing or that thing. Well, if somebody told me the other day, somebody who works for the government actually said that if somebody doesn't vote, they got don't have a right to complain. That's a 
common little thing. Actually, it's the other way around. If you do vote, you don't have a right to complain. Because you, you've gone up to a common purse of rights. And you say, I'm going to vote with you guys. And the guys who have the most vote will win and get to decide how many of my rights I get to keep. <laughs> it's like the the quarter ante, penny ante, nickel ante game they used to play in the Army. Everybody, you know, would uh, throw out their nickel on the bunk and or their dollar or whatever it was. Inflation is probably more now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> show you how old I am. I used to be a nickels and quarters when I was doing it. I only did it once. And I saw the guy scooping. I actually saw my quarter going into his uh, <laughs> and I thought, boy, I'm never going to do that again. You can't throw your quarter down there on that bunk bed and bet with all those other guys unless you covet all those other guys' quarter. You want, you're not throwing your quarter down for any other reason than you want their quarter and you can't get a chance to get their quarter unless you throw that quarter down. So, that act is evidence that you're praying to get their quarter. You're coveting your neighbor's goods. <laughs> For you to win, they have to lose. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. That's the bad thing about gambling. You want to win their quarter. If you were a Christian, you would you would want them to have what they need. People want me to uh, buy a lottery ticket. It's for a good cause. So that you know, for a buck, I can get a chance of winning this rifle or you mean a raffle or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, a, ra- a raffle kind of deal. Uh, I put in my buck, and I get a chance to win, the ra- and it goes to help blind kids or whatever. I said, no, it's a buck. Go help blind kids. <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I don't want to win this. Thing. <laughs> I mean, it takes. It makes charity to not affect. If it's based on covetousness. So, uh, that's a huge you know, danger. it's really simple. That's a danger that and I And it starts to, it, it starts leading us in this other direction. It starts, uh, we're probably creating some kind of a lag here. Um, there's, uh, so we're talking over each other, but it's creating, uh, the wrong atmosphere and so uh the people out there what do you say it's to every individual uh my kids have seen me do this you know whether i'm in a line at the store that's another example is uh you know get about four or five people behind you and they're checking it out and that's you know the grocery bills 89 bucks and you ask the teller uh can i give you a note for that or do you want money <laughs> and everybody looks up, you know, and uh, the teller says, "Well, no, I gotta, I gotta have money." And so you pull out a couple silver coins and uh, ounces and say, "Well, will you take this?" And uh, they look at it, and then, or do you want this? And you hold up a hundred dollar bill. Oh, we'll take a hundred. Oh, so you do want a note? And then you go through a little explanation. There you go. You're just bearing witness. Doesn't get them anywhere. I see that we have the caller coming back on. PG. PG. Yeah, they are. You there? Yeah. Did they come? Uh, can you hear us? She may be listening to the radio rather than the phone. 
Uh, turn off your radio. Yes, I can. Oh, okay. This is Phyllis? I try to do that, and it's not working. So let me turn this off. <laughs> hey, who are those guys in the background? Let me turn this off. Oh, I'll be there in just yeah, a second. Yeah, at least a minute lag. Okay, Whoa. it's off. Hey, Phyllis. Okay, there we go. Hello. Okay, okay. I can hear you. Back in a little bit, John. <laughs> All right, when I it's find out if it's not. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Uh, bye. Oh, you know, if nothing else, you can come over and mow lawn tomorrow if you'd like to do that. Maybe. Too All far. Right. I can't Phyllis, thanks, are you there? Bye. Hello, Phyllis. You're on the air. Phyllis. Hello? Phyllis, Phyllis you're, you're on the air, Hello. Phyllis. Hello. I can hear you. Let's try to call again. <laughs> can you hear me? Now? I can hear you. Can you hear us? Apparently not. Well, that's not working out too good. I just, she still looks like she's getting <laughs> technology. <laughs> it is our friend and it is our enemy. <laughs> Phyllis, can you hear us? Oh, she's gone. Okay. So that didn't work She'll out be too good. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to. Maybe we should work on a way. There's a follow-up uh, question in the in the chat room. Okay. Could Brother okay. G expound on the day job seeking the kingdom by night? Okay. Well, you know, the, I was uh, making references to uh, uh, when they were in bondage in Egypt, and Moses was trying to teach the people how to be a free government, and they were going to have to go through these plagues and earthquakes and and all these things, uh, which is a pattern we're going to see again. It's a pattern of the early church. It's a pattern of uh, even in the days of Abraham. Uh, because Abraham spent about 70 years before those many souls came out with him. And there's a whole history of that. Most of the people are ignorant of But uh, they were in the bondage of Egypt. They had to pay into the government. That government provided them with all their benefits, their leeks and onions, their social welfare. Uh, they had to uh, now still pay their tally of bricks, but glean in the field at night for their straw. These are metaphors in the language as to benefits. So... <laughs> hey, Phyllis. So anyway, that's, that's what we're related to. Phyllis is back on. Can you I hear can, us, Phyllis? I sure can. Can you hear me? I'm thinking. I can hear you. <laughs> and, and we can hear the dogs. <laughs> That's what we're laughing at. <laughs> yeah, I figured you probably know who it is without actually me saying anything. <laughs> okay. But we're uh, interested up, in what Phyllis? you have to say. Well, I have a, I have a question. Um, you know, we always talk about the idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We talk about that quite a bit. Um, there's one place in the Bible, though, where I see where Paul talks about um, love and about something about being a clanging gong and a chain, climbing, a, sig, um, a symbol, the clanging symbol and things like that. Um, 
if we don't have love, but how do we know that we're really actually loving somebody? How do we know that it's real true love and it's just not something that we're just in a sense going through the motions for? Um, you know, like there's people that I know that are, um, they just need some support. They don't really need anything. They just need somebody to say, stand there and say that it's okay and it's nobody that I ever knew before. Um, just happened to see them online a couple times. How do I know that that's not really a form of love? Um, so, how do you qualify that? Uh, well, you know, there's that's the thing is that it can look almost the same either way you do it. I mean, charity is supposedly taking something you have and giving to others. And so, therefore, we say, well, that guy was very charitable. We think of social welfare systems as charity. But the reality is, in the time of affluence, we're not strengthening the poor, we're weakening the poor. We're getting them to the point where they sit there and they expect to be taken care of. And where, how do you tell the difference? And the Bible tells us, by their fruits. What are we producing in society? What kind of society are we producing? And how does it come out that way? We have a society today where people can be raped in the streets and nobody does anything. People shut their doors. They hide away. Uh, we, we can see rights of the people being taken away. You know, when you were arrested and put in prison in the old days, you got to wear the same clothes you actually kept your money in your pocket they didn't have a right to your money they're just arresting you uh, they didn't take your shoelaces away from you <laughs> they didn't do any of that stuff they, they just simply imprisoned you uh, and then you had certain rights even then but today all your rights are taken away from you and then they give you back what they want uh, but what we've done is we've created a society in which there's no hue and cry People are raped in the courts. People are raped in uh, the economy with things like inflation. And nobody does anything about it. Uh, nobody in the Christian churches almost, except for a few rare exceptions, are tending to anything that would fit the category of the weightier matters as described by Jesus Christ, and uh, which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They say, that doesn't have anything to just believe in Jesus. We don't have to worry about law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We just believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you will be tending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Because he said those were the weightier matters. And that's what you should be attending to. You won't have a system of social welfare based on forcing your neighbor to contribute. And so we see the fruits of their charity is not fruits at all. Sweet in the mouth, sour in the belly. Uh, these are, again, metaphors that we see repeated over and over again. So, on an individual basis, you really don't know, should I do this for this person? Should I do that for that person? You have to go by the Holy Spirit. And then you say, well, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what you have your life for, is to learn the difference between the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirits that are all around you, all the time, whispering in your ear and in your heart to do it this way or to do it that way or whatever. And the only way to know is you know them by their fruits. 
They know us by our love for one another. Do you see Christians in the church proclaiming love with their mouth or with their deeds? If they've delivered the whole nation back into the bondage of Egypt, then they don't really love each other. And that's what they've done. They've delivered the entire world back into the bondage of Egypt. And if you don't want to be a part of that system, they will throw you in jail. They will persecute you. They will send SWAT teams to your door and arrest you because they don't want to set you free. And that's why I tell people you can't. there is absolutely no reason to get rid of your Social Security number and try to come out of the system, come out of Babylon, whatever they think is coming out of the Babylon, until you want to set your neighbor free. And the only way to do that is to come together in faith, hope, and charity and bind yourselves with virtue and honor. So, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question. I went on a little bit of a tirade there. But <laughs> I don't even know if you're still there. Are you still there, Phyllis? Oh, yeah, I am, but I muted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so somebody take Beauty the dogs to the back well. And there you go. Every time yeah. I unmute, that's what happens. Well, um, you, you, you're speaking and they hear you. <laughs> <laughs> that could be part of it. Um, well, it, it kind of does a little bit, but um, uh, it, sometimes it's it's better to have concrete um examples of love it's not just it's not always just the idea for my way of thinking it's not just always the idea of freeing my neighbor from um uh the bonds of paying social security for me or something like that sometimes it's um actually freeing my neighbor from some distress of some sort so i mean uh so when it comes actually to the definition of love sometimes i think we try to make it too much of a concrete thing where it's where it may not be quite exactly as concrete as we try to make it right and and the thing is when you talk about freeing your neighbor uh maybe they shouldn't be free maybe they should suffer the pain of what they're suffering but i guess we've got to the end of the show thanks for the call fellas thanks for everything paul and we'll see you next week on the radio You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.